Heavenly Father, we just pray that as we come to think a little bit about what you could be saying to us today, that you would still our minds and that you would still our hearts and that you would take some rough thoughts on paper and do what only you can through your spirit do, infuse them with your energy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are visiting with us this morning as a congregation, we have been working our way through John's gospel, and we find ourselves this morning in chapter 14. But we find ourselves probably on familiar ground, because many of us can think back to Fitzroy 200, where uh, Ken and David and Steve read us, or led us through the Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But this morning, as we come to this section in Scripture, I want to simply ask us one question, both of you and of myself. Which of God's commandments would you say is the most difficult to obey? Perhaps you might respond with, that commandment, do not lie, is the most difficult because when I'm in a tight spot and I can just twist the truth a teeny little bit, that it seems harmless. Or you might say the command do not covet is a really difficult one to obey in what is an increasingly materialistic society. Because as you look around, maybe as you see someone else get richer or they achieve a status that you want or I want for my life, it's hard not to be jealous of them. Perhaps you might point to the commandment Do not lust as being one that is very difficult to obey in what is a very sensual society. Or what about Paul's commandment to do all things without grumbling? That's a hard one, isn't it? Indeed, there are many difficult commandments. But what I think the three opening words, or four opening words of our reading this morning, are a particularly hard commandment to follow. Do not let your heart be troubled. I think I was born anxious. So this is a very tricky one for me to avoid. And as we gaze and look around our world, it's hard not to let our hearts be troubled. There's so much talk of war, of terrorist attacks, of political corruption, of crime and violence, economic pressure. If you weren't troubled five minutes ago after that list, you may be now. And on top of those various national and international troubles, there are many what-if scenarios in most of our lives. What if I'm in an accident? What if someone leaves me? What if I lose my job? What if I'm rejected at school? All this and more can bring on heart trouble. Some pundits have said that we live in what is called the cardiac, cardiac, oh dear, I'm not going to get through this, cardiac, cardiac age. Everyone seems to have heart trouble. However, your heart trouble may not be based on international events or even what-if scenarios. Your worry and fear may indeed be intensely personal. You may be a single mother wondering how to be a good parent and provider. You may be a parent or grandparent agonizing over the rebellion of your children or grandchildren. Perhaps you're recently divorced and facing life with one income but twice the obligation. 
Maybe you're barely making ends meet and are feeling overwhelmed with your financial obligations. Or maybe this morning you're a student standing on the horizon of the rest of your life and wondering what direction to go. Or maybe even some of us this morning are suffering from chronic health problems and you're weighing up the myriad of different treatment options. This morning, if you if your heart is troubled and you're feeling confused, concerned, and overwhelmed, when we come to John 14, what you find is that you are actually in very good company. Because in John chapter 14, what we see is that Jesus' disciples felt exactly the same way. They had been following Jesus for three years, and suddenly at the age of 33, their Lord is leaving them. The disciples weren't expecting this. They were counting on Jesus being around. They were counting on Jesus to free them from Roman oppression. And they were preparing to rule and reign with him. Now, as we get to chapter 14, it finally dawns on them that Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And their hearts are deeply troubled and heavy. Jesus turns to his disciples and deals with their heart trouble with some heart-to-heart words. He tells them that believing leads to seeing. In verse 1, just a few hours before Jesus goes to the cross, he issues that difficult command to his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. We all know that I'm no good at grammar, but this week I read that it, this in the original language is presented in the imperative present tense, which means it could be translated, stop being troubled. This implies that the disciples were indeed already anxious. So this command suggests that heart trouble and anxiety and worry is something that can be conquered. And of course, if you're anything like me, as I come to Scripture, I'm constantly expecting or would like to see Jesus issuing some sort of silver bullet solution. And here, Jesus says to them, believe in God, believe also in me. The response to their heart trouble in the command from Jesus is to believe. But surely, the disciples had been around Jesus for a long time. They'd been traveling from time to time with him every day. They had seen him. You wouldn't leave your family and your friends behind to follow someone if you didn't believe in them. Many of us believe, but sometimes in the practicalities of day-to-day life, it can be a little bit of a struggle. So Jesus says to us, as he said to his disciples back then, that believing leads to seeing. Because Jesus knows that his followers will be controlled by whatever they gaze at. So he turns their attention to the glories of heaven. In verse 2 of our reading, we come across that familiar passage of Scripture. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place 
for us. Jesus is constantly getting to turn our gaze from the temporary to the eternal. Turning our gaze from things that are fleeting to things that last forever. Turning our attention not just turning our attention from the present reality to a future hope. That can be a really hard thing to do when you feel sometimes like your back is against a wall. But Jesus is saying, turn your gaze. Because in turning your gaze towards the eternal, you see a bigger picture. You see what God is planning to do and is indeed doing. You see the promise of what can be whilst the present may be difficult. Jesus confirming his promise to us through the words, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus will come back. The Old Testament is filled with references to Christ's return. I think 1,800 references in the Old Testament and about three in the New Testament. In our fallen world, we can gain relief for our troubled hearts in the fact that Jesus will come back. But not just that Jesus will come back, that Jesus is present with us now. Sometimes that can be a bit of a glib answer, can't it? Oh, just think about the glories of heaven. But sometimes life is tough. Life is hard. We're faced with situations and circumstances that are beyond our control. But Jesus, by leaving heaven and coming to earth, is saying, I am going to walk through it with you. I will be there to comfort. I will be there to come alongside and support. Turn your gaze towards me. What this morning are we gazing at? And is it distracting us? As we continue to journey through chapter 14, we come to verse 4 where Jesus assures his disciples, and you know the way Sorry, and you know the way to where I am going. But the disciples are confused. The disciples are uncertain. Their satnav hasn't programmed in to where this way of going will be to. But Jesus is affirming to them that he will indeed go to the cross, that he will die for all our sins but they are a little bit uncertain. And Thomas blurts out, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? How do we know the way? Before we respond and be too hard on Thomas, perhaps we need to see ourselves in him. Perhaps we need to uh, realize that we too have lots of questions and uncertainty. How do we know the way? And then Jesus, as he always does, cuts through the situation with the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Personal relationship. It's about an individual. It's about personhood. That is why the beginning, the word had to leave heaven to become flesh so that we could enter in 
to relationship with him. But by the time we come to verse 7, we realize that Jesus continues his response, not just to Thomas, but to the disciples that are gathered together. Because if we look at the text, we see that there are actually plural verbs to show that Jesus is speaking to all of them and to all of us. Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Three times in this verse, Jesus using the verb to know, relationship. How do you know someone? You exist alongside them. You know them for who they are. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, get to know me. But we discover that Philip also has some questions. Because Jesus has just finished saying what he has said when Philip interjects with, Lord, show us the way to the Father, and it's enough for us. Show us the way to the Father. Philip is the materialist. If he can see, then he will believe. He's looking for something more tangible than um, metaphysical distinctions or theological abstractions. He wants some concrete evidence. Yet what we find in our passage this morning is that Jesus is always patient and gracious because he responds to Philip's words with some impassioned words of his own. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Believing leads to seeing. Yet John closes this section of Scripture in a very surprising way. Because if I'd have been writing this gospel, I'd have been tempted to tell my readers that Jesus would assure a promise of a cure. But John records word from Jesus that deal with something more. Because verse 12 says, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Jesus is proclaiming to the disciples that they will do even greater works than he himself has done. Hard to imagine when you flick back through the gospel of John to the point that we have got and we have seen that Jesus has turned water into wine. Jesus has read people from the dead. Greater works than these? What greater works are we being called to this morning? What is the vision that God wants us to catch? Who is he leading us to? Where is he sending us? What challenge is he issuing to us? Greater things. Today, as we go back out into living everyday life, may we leave with the question of what is the greater things that God is working through me? Are we totally sold on the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life? What is he stirring up in our hearts? What is he trying to do 
through us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word and yet again we are reminded of the challenges that it poses to us. About how it impacts how we move and breathe and live in society. And sometimes when we come to it, it can seem complicated. Sometimes it's hard to journey our way through it. Yet we know that through your insight, you will lead us to little glimpses of what you're trying to say to us. So we pray that over the incoming week, that you would teach us to sit and to wait in your presence. We pray for those of us this morning who are troubled, who are anxious, who are uncertain, who are maybe even struggling to cope. And we pray that you would teach us how to hand our concerns and worries over to you. That we would once again know that you are in control. And whilst the way may seem uncertain to us, you know exactly what you're doing. So Lord, help us catch the vision of what you're doing. Stir us to action and lead us deeper into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.